I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Deeper down to the rabbit hole. Real metaphysics. Cutting edge topics. Results-driven active spirituality. 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time live on the Parax Network. Also available on podcast at the iTunes Store. Welcome, you're listening to Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole, and we're here on our 23rd show, Hail Eris, uh, with, uh, with our guest, Raven Digitalis, and my co-host, Jason. Now, for those of you who don't know Raven, which many people do know Raven, um, not only did he give me a little blurb for the back of my book, Hands on Chaos Magic, but he is an author and I would say visionary in some ways, uh, within the gothic industrial communities. Uh, he's written books such as Gothcraft, uh, which dealt with how spirituality and the gothic culture works together, can work together. He's written his Shadow Magic Compendium, which he tells me on numerous occasions is his favorite, and uh, one of the books that we were going to feature today on the show, which is his newest Planetary Magic Spellbook. Welcome to the show, Raven. How are you doing tonight? Hello. Very good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, no problem. You're a friend. We love you, you know? <clears throat> yeah. I love interviews. Love interviews, even, huh? if, even if life is completely hectic at the moment. So it seems very fitting and synchronistic that this, this is show number 23. Doesn't it? Yeah. Doesn't it? Because you're going through hey. a move, everything's up in the air, and, uh, you know, of course, it would yeah. be show 23. You got the magic number. You were show twenty-three, so or at least one of the magic numbers. I guess they're all magic numbers, but <laughs> so that's an especially magic number. Well, at least for people who dive deep into the chaos currents, you know, twenty-three pops up everywhere. It seems like. Oh yeah. So. Yeah, I've never really, I've never really been into chaos magic per se as a discipline, but. Um, I definitely like. I definitely have a lot of respect for it, and like to utilize some of those philosophies and practices from time to time. Um, kind of like it's a daily thing. I find, for me, how I interpret my use of chaos magic is um, <clears throat> through subtleties and subtle, subtly changing, helping change people's consciousness and make people think, and doing doing things, mercurial things that make people think and. Uh, maybe bring people out of their ordinary reality for a little bit. But, That's a good way to use know. chaos sometimes. Yeah, I've noticed that in the um, chaos magic subculture, per se, um, at least amongst the youth, there seems to be a lot of focus on out-cooling each other and out-subculturalizing each other. Oh, yeah. And so I try to kind of avoid that. But You know what? Um, <clears throat> so do I. But I'm not, I'm not quite the youngest uh, author on the show. I think, I think, I think you're a few years younger than me, even. So, but that's okay. Uh, well, hey, Raven, we we've got you know, yeah, probably an older audience than what you're used to, and a lot of hey, people aren't familiar with your background and your work. Probably, how's about just a little biography of how you got into magic and what your style is? Well, I was introduced to magic magical spirituality in high school by a friend of mine and from there after practicing some very basic Wiccan circles I 
studied more and more about magic, started to learn the map of reality through the tarot cards. And um, speaking of that, now our spiritual system that my priestess and I co-run is based on the top deck. Uh, Alistair Crowley and Lady, Lady Frida Harris's top deck. And we use that as a basis for our training system, for our ritual structures and things like that. So that's kind of the foundation. So I was very grateful to especially, particularly have tarot studies from an early age. Um, so I just started writing books after a visionary experience in 2001, I believe. And my first book came out in 03. And I've done some tours for that. Um, like I said, I co-run a spiritual group in Missoula, Montana. And everything has just been incredible so far. And it's just been gaining speed and changing lives for the better. And it's just an amazing thing. And I'm so grateful for it. <clears throat> and we host uh, public and private ceremonies um, on a nearly weekly basis. And we do everything from um, private high ceremonial magic to um, public old world skill cottage crafting events, which the ladies are greatly responsible for. Um, We also have a male and female mysteries structure within our training system. So we, I host um, men's rituals and my priestess Esther hosts women's rituals and she hosts those women's rituals on the new moon of every month or the dark moon and then I host the male rituals on what we call the dark sun or the new sun every month and what that means to us is that the times when the sun changes zodiac signs in my spiritual group, which is called Opus Ima Obscuri. We observe that as the new sun or the dark sun, and that's like an equivalent to the new moon or the dark moon, um, in that the sun is transitioning between zodiac signs. The full sun is a private event in our group every month, and the full sun is when the sun is in an apex of a sign and is at its most and this is in tropical zodiac, when the sun is in its apex and the very peak of any given astrological point. So we do certain certain magic and meditations and things like that during that time. <clears throat> so everything's astrologically aligned and seasonally aligned because of the lunar and solar influences. And we're just moving right now. I'm currently walking around this empty duplex because we ran our spiritual group out of this duplex for eight years, and it was like a little museum slash mausoleum combination temple house for eight years, and, you know, every inch of the wall was decorated with something sacred and special, and we had this nice temple room in the back, and two bedrooms, and it was, it's just been an amazing place, and now I'm walking around, and it's all empty, because we've finally purchased the house and manifested that through lots of magic and dedication and willpower and working with people and so now we're going to be living in a 2.5 acre property and running our temple from there out in the country but it's actually only 10 minutes from the city which is very exciting it's a great in-between zone Um, so we did some magic last night when we were all cleaning to bid the place farewell and thank it for helping be the springboard for our spiritual system and for everybody's lives that we've come in contact with. And and now the second phase of the journey begins for this group. Yeah. Congratulations. Very much. Feeling really good. Yeah. And then this means next, next spring we get to have chickens and get eggs, fresh eggs every day. Awesome. Oh yeah. That that is going to be awesome then. So So nice. From what you're telling us, your particular magical system that you follow is very, very astrologically heavy. Yeah, I mean, we tend to feel that we're in this plane, this reality, this existence, and the best thing to do while you're here is to align to it because we're right, we're right here and we're right now. And so, so what's happening here and now is the turning of the sun 
and the moon and the planets, and, and so we just choose to align to those forces <clears throat> um, because they're the greatest expression of this reality. So dancing with the wheel of the year seems very appropriate. So, so in that sense, we're one thing that I really like about our group is that even though I was trained in Wicca first and foremost, which is Georgian Wicca, um, which developed on the East Coast, I, I had the pleasure of being trained by the first priestess of Georgian Wicca. Um, and then Esther, she got trained in England in um, Gardnerian witchcraft, and she was also Hindu for three years. And then I also studied Buddhism quite deeply and was the teacher's assistant for a Buddhism course um, in the college, University of Montana here. <clears throat> so it's really nice to um, kind of have our powers and our experiences combined. And in that sense, we're not just Wiccan, we're not just witches, but we're also not just ceremonial magicians or Thelemites or Hermeticists, but we are those things too. So in, in a sense, we're eclectic, but we're also very disciplined in our training structures. So one of the terms that we use for our group is disciplined eclectic, which is to imply yes, we're eclectic, but that doesn't mean loosey-goosey and just do whatever you want and don't take accountability for your actions. And you know, So we're very big proponents of, of discipline, spiritual discipline, pushing the limits of the mind and the body, but only for the sake of spiritual and personal progression. And another term that we use to describe our group is Eastern Hellenistic. And what this means is that we tend to take the ideas of Alexander the Great and who performed conquests of the Western world all the way to India and recognize the validity of all these different gods and all these different pantheons and different ways of being, different types of people. And so we're taking that idea and extending it further into the East to include um, India, even Japan and China, and um, really seeing the validity of all these different cultures and all these different gods. So we, so we call ourselves both Eastern Hellenistic and Disciplined Eclectic. You know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, when you're talking, and I, and I read the Planetary, you know, Magic, Spellbook, and a lot of the beginning part of that uh, really deals with the different times, and how to figure out the hours in an easy way, which is often cons um, confusing in ceremonial magic. So, yeah. one of the things I could ask you uh, is, you know, what's your favorite spell from that book? Do you have a couple that are favorite spell from my spell book uh, with, with the disclaimer that you put in the beginning that you'd rather see people develop their own spells but you, you yeah here's how here's here's a bunch you you do so yeah, yeah that's definitely one thing I say in there I say don't do any of these spells as they are written do not <laughs> modify them please. of course you know I said the same thing but people will do them exactly as you wrote oh, them oh yeah <laughs> I know <laughs> that's okay but I expect as much and uh, yeah I think my one of the spells or workings or ceremonial spells that I like in there the best is um, <clears throat> the dedication of cronehood or sagehood. I, d I don't see many things about that. So when a person reaches their second Saturn return, so this is, of course, filed under the planet Saturn, um, if a person experiences their second Saturn birthday, which is usually around the age of mm, between 55 and 62, they may consider themselves an elder if they've been involved in spirituality for a long time and I do a ceremony in there as a self-dedication into elderhood and so I'm, I definitely am proud of that one um, <clears throat> there's also like a spell for releasing suicidal desires and I haven't found many other books doing stuff like that but of, of course as a goth I have long struggled with depression and suicidal thinking from time to time um, which magic and spirituality has helped me get under control incredibly um, <clears throat> so I, I, I seek to inspire that in other people so they don't feel victim to the depths of their mind but rather use it as a shamanic tool this is kind of interesting because uh, you know those people who know me and I'll date myself a little 
know that, you know, back in the day, um, when it was still legal in Chicago, I was going to Medusa's nightclub throughout high school. And um, before it closed, when you could still go there. Um, and it's kind of interesting because that, that notion that uh, I could very much attest, that notion of using spirituality, uh, disciplined spirituality, I would actually say, as a means to almost correct brain chemistry is one that we kind of allude to on the show a numerous times, but it's good to hear someone else come on and say, you know what, it, it does work. Yeah. And so much of magic is just is psychology and association of the mind. I mean, when you, when you tap into those unconscious planes, you can literally rework your reality, your experience, and your perception of life through intending through symbolism to change yourself. <clears throat> so if I associate the color red with abuse, maybe I'll do a ritual where I do wear a bunch of red and come to terms with that abuse because for my psychology, that's what it would mean. So just that association. Um, <clears throat> And at the same time, there's universal symbolism, which is wonderful, and we love to utilize universal symbolism in OAO, in our system, um, because there are some things that are shared. Um, a pointing finger might be an insulting thing in India, um, but in America, it's a, a gesture of pointing out something. Um, but either way, it's still a projective gesture, still a pointing finger is still a projection of energy in every culture. So there's this universal symbolism aspect, but then there's personal symbolism. I think it's very wise to utilize both. With your experience, like, um, I mean, uh, you know, you wrote the Gothcraft particularly, and, you know, that I know you that's, that's one you haven't talked about probably in a while, because that's three books, you're two books out from that. Um, but a lot of the shadow, the shadow magic book, especially with the depression comment, I could see directly deals with some of those elements. But, you know, how did that get taken, like, in the actual community, this, this subculture, uh, and, and then the next one as well? Well, for my first book, The Gothcraft, because it looks at how Gothic culture and magical spirituality can work together, um, I got all sorts of varied reactions. So I had super positive, super negative, and everything in between. And that was to be expected. <clears throat> Luckily, some people helped me gain a, a bit of a thicker skin before the book was published. Um, I am an empath, so I feel emotions around me and things projected at me very strongly and have the bad tendency of taking things very personally. So I had to kind of grow a thicker skin in a sense and and just realize that everything's fine, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do, and, you know, this book has to be written because it's from a vision, and um, people, you know, I always say if I can help one person in their life, uh, if I can help save one person from living a depressive life or a life of misery, then I'm doing my job. So if, even if I just write each book for one person, just to reach one person, screw all the rest. It's all about helping that one person. And I'm completely open to having any type of um, constructive criticism. And I love constructive criticism. That's how one, that's how anybody learns and grows and <clears throat> changes and evolves. So that's wonderful, but um, there's a difference between egotistical bashing and actual artistic constructive criticism so so I've just kind of learned to discern what people's intentions are and with the second book Shadow Magic um, there were a lot of readers a little more into the gothic subculture <clears throat> and who liked my first book who were more thrown off by my second book because it is a little bit more advanced <clears throat> and it doesn't talk about subculture it talks about the deeper workings of the mind and kind of the darker aspect of reality generally speaking and so it definitely had a different feel to it. Um, my third book, I think, is more accessible to a lot of different types of people because it doesn't focus on 
any one thing emphasize ritualistic spellcraft. So I like to say that my third book, Planetary Cells and Rituals, takes the takes it makes it very accessible to people who want to advance their spellcraft instead of, you know, just relying on the charm style spellcraft, which is take a couple wait, herbs. Wait, you mean Leviosa doesn't work? What's that? Leviosa from Harry Potter doesn't work? No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. yeah, need a few more ingredients. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I imagine, I mean, that's you know, fun. that that's... You raise an interesting point about the kind of subculture, not only within the goth community, but within the occult pagan community, kind of sometimes uh, being extraordinarily, um, I don't want to say toxic, but uh, hypercritical at times, and the need for a thick skin when you write a book. That was a hard lesson learned, so. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But... um, it seems like that 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 gesture, as um, particularly to try to help uh, people who lean towards more darker elements in music, um, is really a noble one. Have you guys tried or maybe done uh, any of the kind of rituals in the goth clubs with people there, just to kind of walk them through if if there was club owners that were kind of supportive? Some of the rituals from what? Uh, just your own personal rituals, you know, try to introduce people, see if anyone's interested, or... Yeah, I haven't gotten the um, bravery to do any in-depth workshops beyond my group here. Um, but yeah, we tend, we all here tend to practice many different types of magic, so we'll do darker stuff during the dying season, during Halloween and Day of the Dead. And we'll do lighter magic around Beltane and the, the the bright summery months. So we kind of go full spectrum in that sense. So why don't you tell the audience your definition of an example of a light working versus a dark working? Yeah, that's a good yeah. I would say like a light working is <clears throat> like a, a wickening or a child blessing or something very jovial and uplifting and and fun and celebratory I think an example of a darker working is going into deep meditation and working with personal trauma that may have accumulated throughout your life and coming to terms with some of your issues and kind of getting the light from the dark in a shamanic sense I think uh, any type of banishing ceremony to banish forces in your life is a dark working um, whereas a, a summoning of positive things and new beginnings into your life it's more of a light working so that's okay. kind of some examples yeah. so would you also follow say moon cycles if you had things you had to take care of throughout the year that weren't the appropriate time of year to do them on the moon cycle yeah like you know um, new moon for your banishing rituals on a monthly basis and full moon for more of your expansion rituals. Man- yeah, manifestry. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, the moon is uh, really the internal landscape, one's internal psyche. So doing um, magic during the lunar cycle aligns with that. It's very appropriate, whereas the sun is more external and so say you're wanting to banish a bad habit, it's more, um, um, I think it's more uh, effective to do that during a, uh, a solar cycle, during a seasonal cycle. Um, whereas banishing or working with a uh, something smaller, like maybe your um, relationship with another person is good for the lunar cycle. But, so, so it's just kind of, Appropriating, And I also am a strong believer in synchronicity. Um, I think that a lot of the time when people, including myself, become aware of certain issues, it happens to occur during a certain time of the year um, that may be auspicious. So, so for example, I um, realized that I want to stop 
my addiction to cigarettes and to tobacco. Um, and this happens to be uh, synchronistically, basically right before my first Saturn return. So, because Saturn rules uh, the life cycle and karma and addiction and life and death, it's a really auspicious time for me to work on that addiction and banish it. And I just happened to become really intent on banishing that addiction at this time. So I think that the universe works with you in that sense. I think forces kind of align to make things happen. But <clears throat> I think those um, smaller magical workings aligned with the moon can be um, really apexed during the uh, solar cycles. So if, if the person is working throughout a, a lunar cycle to banish illness, um, internal illness, because the moon is internal, um, that, that force might apex and come to come to a head uh, <clears throat> during like Samhain, Halloween, it's a good time to banish. So a person can work with both forces, lunar and solar, and planetary. Now, You've told me, at least, that you've always thought that Shadow Magic was kind of your favorite book. Um, yeah. Is there, uh, and, and I know I, I talk a lot about the shadow, the young in shadow a lot as well, and the, the deeper sides, the darker sides of the hidden mind. Um, is there any ways that you'd recommend that people go about um, starting their own work on uh, discovering that which is hidden within? I think meditation is a really good start <clears throat> um, because that allows you a chance to go within and kind of look at yourself more objectively. And there are so many different types of meditations, many different styles that are appealing to different people. So there's so many places that it can be taken. And that's a really good place to start, <clears throat> especially in this society because you find a lot of people, the majority of people are very um, extroverted and are always going and doing so so just to schedule the time to sit and be and experience and look within is very important in terms of balance so i think meditation is a great starting point and if people are really dedicated to working with um, darker hidden aspects of themselves that they're not comfortable with i think that um, therapy and counseling is a really good thing I think it's very helpful, and depending on if the counselor is a good match for you. And I often refer people to counselors, too, if they're struggling with things that may be out of my expertise to deal with. So there's so many different ways people can combat that. And then another thing I think is um, momentary awareness, just cultivating awareness moment to moment of how one is behaving and how their actions are influencing basically cause and effect. So having awareness, present moment awareness from moment to moment, I think is extremely important in cultivating self-awareness. And dealing with habitual cycles. Of course. So, I mean... Do you, um, when you go through the, I mean, not the secrets of the discipline training, but do you have people actually, I mean, one of the things that I sometimes tell students to do is, like, write down everything that goes on a day to look for patterns and then try right. to, try to, well, I, well I'm, I take, my first book took the chaos magic philosophy, which was, okay, now try to break all your patterns. <laughs> yeah. But, um. Yeah, like, totally undo yourself. Yeah, undo yourself. Um, which a lot of magic is about undoing yourself in a way and reconstructing yourself in a different way. and we're just mm -hmm. It's not really reconstruction. It's more like just pulling out different aspects of yourself. Right. Most definitely. And, and it really comes down to intention. If people want to change, they can. And there's so many tools available. And there's so many books in this world and so many teachers out there. So if people want to change or progress in their life, there's every available opportunity around us. It's just a matter of really wanting to. 
Is, well, Ra- Raven, I'm going to take a little poke at you. You ready for it? Yes. Okay. This is something that comes up with many practitioners of Wicca and witchcraft. I noticed in your book that you briefly mentioned it is best to do these rituals skyclad. But you omitted an explanation as to why. So uh, okay. it would be really great from your perspective as to now skyclad, for those who don't know, is performing a ritual nude. Yep, I think that being naked is, uh, <clears throat> well, we were born naked, so I think that being naked in a, in a ceremony is total surrender. You don't have the ego of the clothing. Um, I think there's a lot of validity in wearing ceremonial robes and garb and uh, maybe robes that match a certain color intention for what a person is going for. But being nude, you're completely surrendered. And it might be kind of awkward in a public circle. So I don't tend to advocate going naked in a public space. Yeah, you know that whole streaking thing? It's just really not part of the bargain. That. The whole streaking thing, not part of the bargain, yeah. you know. Don't yeah. leave ritual but, circle, go out to the alcohol store naked, get, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, you know I, I just think it's good for the public to know that's not, that there is a spiritual mindset behind that. It wasn't meant for shock factor, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I think it can be very cleansing because you totally, you can be naked and surrender to the, to the stars, to the gods, to your intention. But there's a lot of validity and very carefully picking your ritual garb, your garments as well. I guess it really depends on what you're going for. Do you find that in your your own uh, group that sometimes, you know, when people are first starting out, the the skyclad issue really kind of brings out a lot of those shadow issues? Oh, yeah, for sure. It definitely does. Um, We only do skyclad rituals as a coven if we're... um, when we're working with people who have already been in the training system for a couple of years and who kind of have the um, the comfort there already. But at the same time, I, I suppose we do a lot of naked nighttime water swimming and water rituals, which are often, often public. So, but you know, we don't say you have to be naked. We say you can be naked. We're going to be naked. Sorry if you're uncomfortable. <laughs> And it's fun. We have wonderful rivers here, and so we go night swimming when it's warm out. And because there's such a short, warm season in Montana, got to take advantage of it. Yeah, it's probably a shorter warm season than even Ohio. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Definitely. So, hey, who was your primary occult influence as you came up in all this? My primary occult influence? Uh, sure. Oh, I don't know if I have a primary. I've just learned from so many different people. So I couldn't say any one in particular. <clears throat> we tend to um, say that two of the most influential people in our spiritual system is uh, John Michael Greer and Juan Milo Duquette. We feel great. The godfather. I know. Yeah, we're yeah, hoping we to get him on the show sooner than later. So. Oh, yeah. He'd be a great guest. He's hysterical, too. Very entertaining. But, yeah, we feel a really good connection with them, and we've learned a lot from their their books and their material and hanging out with them. So I'd say that there's some great elders of our spiritual system, and there's just so many. Everybody has a piece of the puzzle. There's so much knowledge and wisdom out there that it's incredible. So... So we learn from people all the time with elders here, and everybody kind of learns from each other, and um, everybody has their own special skill set. And that's one thing we kind of encourage in our group is for people to still pursue their own paths and their own callings, and you don't have to become just like everybody else, because then that's not really following your, your will or your, your spiritual calling. It's kind of conforming, which is not the best thing. Well, it's kind of interesting because in a lot of the the other, your books, you, you do talk about will, but it's often a concept that isn't uh, well described. So maybe we could uh, get your take that you try to 
um, give to uh, the people and when they come to your group on what their will means and how you yeah. go about that. Well, in the Wiccan raid, you you hear do as thou um, and it harm none do as thou wilt, and that that line do as thou wilt came from the Lema, Alistair Crowley's magical system or religion, um, and it doesn't do as thou wilt never meant do whatever you want. It, it's referring to will, and will um, is the Lema. It means one spiritual destiny, what one, what a person is supposed to be doing with themselves. So um, it's like the Tao. If you're following your Tao, if you're following the Force, you're aligned with your your soul's true potential and um, what you're supposed to be doing. So everybody can have, the Buddhists might call this uh, right action, so you're kind of aligned with what you're supposed to be doing. Like, I'm not my will is not to, my spiritual calling is not to be um, a painter, but it's other people's spiritual calling. So everybody has their own individual will, um, their own talents and their own callings. And I think living that out to the fullest is extremely important. So how do you help people find out what that is? Um, a lot of self-searching and also looking at people's talents and I mean the will it's almost an ephemeral concept because the will is not only a far reaching life thing it doesn't it doesn't just refer to career or religion it refers to every moment of every day so it's my will right now to be interviewed um because it's aligned to um, my destiny, my calling, my my being right now. Um, in an hour, it'll be my will to eat a burrito. <laughs> um, you keto Taco Bell. No, I hope not. I hope you get better than Taco Bell tonight. Yeah, it's much better. Mm-hmm. Now, we could debate if that would be your little W will or your big W will. Indeed. Yeah, right. Free will, yeah. But... Yeah, so one's will is really their, their spiritual calling, and it usually refers to the life cycle in a greater in a greater scheme. It's my will to be a priest, and it's another person's will to be a farmer. It's another person's will to own a grocery store. So everybody has their own callings and experiences, and that's very sacred. So from a spiritual mindset, what do you think of the possibility that not everyone has a a will that's in line with the greater good? Maybe some people have a dark will or destiny. Yeah, yeah that that can definitely be said. That's a really good concept to think about. <clears throat> um, well, in some cases, right? I don't, I don't think I. Mm-hmm. In some cases, right? If there was no obstacles, there would be no opportunity to overcome them which implies that there almost would have to be people who might have the tendency to be an obstacle or cause obstacle in your life or, or right. something like that. Yeah, so, so I just mentioned moving into our new temple house today. Um, well, we just, every car for about three miles along the stretch of road where we're at got robbed last night. So I lost an iPod and uh, a bunch of other stuff out of my car and so did my roommates and um, everybody for miles and miles. And that hasn't happened there for about 20 years on that stretch of road. So the day that we move in, it happened to happen, which was very interesting. Um, and that made me think, well, is it is it their will to be doing that? But I don't think it is. I think that's being off track of one's will. I think that's taking a destructive path and not a progressive path. I realize that in the end, they'll hopefully grow from that and you know I was I, I had my phases of being a baddie not that bad in middle school and things like that and I definitely grew from that so I hope that these people can for example can grow from from that because it's interrupting other people's free will so and that is where you enter violation and black magic 
if it's in a magical sense, um, violating other people's um, callings or security, things like that. So, so I don't think they're really following their will because then it wouldn't influence, it wouldn't have uh, such negative repercussions and violations on other people's free will, if that makes sense. Do you tend to agree with that, or what do you guys think? Oh, I think there's definitely validity there, and we could go on and on on that topic. Yeah. I've said a lot about uh, the will, and I mean, I, I, I've come to a kind of a personal conclusion that it's it's like a vector, and a vector is like a physics term, but essentially, like, it isn't what a lot of people think, and it could be changed depending on how much you're willing to, really, how much you're willing to give up, uh, uh-huh. internally, and uh, certainly. I see. I kind of take the party line. I don't want to say I take the party line with, with what Peter Carroll said, but I certainly came to the conclusion that if you desire it enough and are willing to change yourself to that core of a level, you could change the reflection of your spirituality in a way. Get a choose a different road, but that often takes such amount of effort that. Um, most people wouldn't do that. There, there is a path of least resistance unless they do a remarkable level of shadow work to, to, to go to the analogy we're using. And not just the shadow work to get rid of negative things, but shadow work to take all that programming and essentially be the void, to walk across the abyss and say, I will be something else now, in a way. Uh-huh. Ooh. You know, really take deconstructing and reconstructing the soul. Right. I would not recommend people walk across the abyss unless you, you really are ready uh, from personal yeah. experience. <laughs> oh, yeah. For sure. Well, that I doubt that there's that many out there that want to do the work to actually completely eradicate and rebuild their destiny. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think there's always the option every moment to moment of making different choices. So the transition from one state of consciousness to another doesn't have to be too extreme. For most people, it does take a very extreme experience to wake up and realize, hey, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm married to an abusive person or I'm causing harm to other people and I need to change or something like that. And I think that kind of goes back to what I was mentioning about the violation of other people's free will and freedom. Um, another thing that Alistair Crowley, Uncle Al said was uh, every man and every woman is a star and you have to go about your course without your course of life without um, running into other stars or violating other people because we're all on our, our path and our destiny and when you do experience violation you just got to learn from it and realign. So I see that you've broached the topic of throwing curses here in your book. Curses, yeah. Oh yes. So yes. but but let's let's talk about this in the in the context of your personal ethics. When do you believe it's okay to go the negative route? per se. I mean, I guess negative is a matter of perspective, right? But when do you feel that it's appropriate to start cursing? Yeah, I think cursing can be appropriate in certain situations if it's really um, a matter of self-defense and uh, stopping violators. And in that sense, cursing can work out for the greater good, um, even if it is a negative act or a destructive or harmful act. So, in the few times that I have had to curse somebody, it's been because they've hurt other people or um, they've violated other people in terrible ways, and I want to try to interject there 
So I think in that sense it's okay. But at the same time, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind, like Gandhi said. So I, I think it has a very rare usage. Um, a lot of people turn the curses out of ego, which is a big mistake, I think, trying to prove themselves or um, whatnot. And that's not where it should be employed. I think it should be employed in self-protection. How about you? Oh, I would say I follow along the same lines. Um, see, I have to admit, you know, I'm a little bit more free-flowing. I just believe that ethics are relative. Um, you can't always approach the same answer to the same situation. Okay, no two situations are identical. You see what I'm saying? Uh -huh. So, really, it just comes down to a matter of circumstance. Right. Yeah, exactly. But I would say that I agree that you're on the right track um, as far as definitely protecting yourself and protecting others. Mm -hmm. But it is kind of a last-ditch effort because 99% of the time that's not the ideal solution and might just be a good outlet for anger, but there's often more that can be done. Do you ever find a uh, running group you know, um, and kind of being, I don't want to say, I mean, kind of being the leader of a group, do you ever find that that, you know, that responsibility weighs on you? Oh, yeah. Quite frequently. Um, <clears throat> in a sense, I'm, I carry responsibility for, um, well, for my actions and for how I influence other people. And so it, if I get bad advice and it turns out wrong, I gotta be responsible for that. And if people come to me for tarot readings or counseling, um, I should know what I'm talking about and be knowledgeable in those subject areas in order to give accurate advice. So it does place a lot of responsibility and it's also a very busy lifestyle. So I'm constantly going and like even right now I'm cleaning a carpet stain and <laughs> trying to get that up. Don't tell my landlord. And so it's just like, there are some times when I just don't have a chance to sleep for more than a few hours a night for a week or something. And so then it becomes really weighing because there's responsibilities at hand. But it's okay. That's part of the sacrifice that's made and it's, it's worth it for all of the amazing things that come about from it. You know, I'd rather um, help somebody in crisis than get an hour of sleep if need be. And that's just, I feel my responsibility. Which can suck for my comfort sometimes, but that's okay. At the same time, my first priestess taught me that a person should never give away more than two-thirds of their energy. So if I'm absolutely depleted and need to draw boundaries, that's okay also. And again, it's situational. Oh, yeah, and I, I applaud you for being a giving soul, but I have to say, from experience of being a giving soul, you have to learn when to draw those boundaries. Right. And that's been a hard lesson, too. Because for a while there, I went through periods of drawing way too many boundaries and, and then not drawing any at all. So it's all about the balancing act. Balancing out. Well, maybe you could talk about that. We got about ten minutes left. You know about the need to balance that out, balancing out the because you have different factors. You know, like balancing a new house, balancing coming on the show, balancing the where the boundaries are, and and how you actually go about creating a sense of balance. Uh, you personally, as a uh, you know accomplished occult author, as a metaphysician, how do you do it? Um, well, uh, because I, because everybody functions from their own consciousness and their own perception, you have to look at yourself first. You have to put yourself first. And that's not selfish. It's, well, maybe it is, but it's selfishness by necessity. So I've learned that if you see where you're at and see if you're balanced, um, that's the most important thing because if you're not balanced, then you're spreading that imbalance all around. For example, like, even right now as I'm talking on the interview, um, 
usually when I do interviews, I'm totally calm and having a glass of wine and I'm feeling good. But right now I'm just ultra stressed out with everything that's going on in my world. But I don't want to take that stress and rub it off onto you guys or the listeners or perpetuate that myself. So I try to maintain a balance so I don't sit here and pitch to you, you know, the whole time. Um, but at the same time, um, I can use it as, as a way to balance out because I can talk to fellow magicians and fellow people on the, the spiritual path and, and use it as a positive conversational thing, a positive connection instead of just another stress. So, for example, in the moment, I can choose to take our conversation to a place of stress or I can allow it to balance me out a little bit more. And so I think that kind of moment-to-moment awareness of where one's own consciousness is and how their day is affecting that is very important. So, Hey, we, we're friendly, like, right? Right, Jason? Oh, yeah. We don't bite unless <laughs> asked. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Raven, hey, is, is it fair of me to, to kind of draw a, a conclusion that you have somewhat of a perfectionist leaning? What what did you say? I have a perfectionist. Perfectionist leaning. You you are really into detail and okay. For for example, yeah. Well, we'll take the given situation. I bet you are stressing out about that carpet stain right now. Oh my god! Yeah, because the <laughs> landlords are coming over. The landlords are coming over in twenty minutes. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god! I didn't well, see I t- this stain. Oh, sure. I tell you what. Take take it from an older brother with experience. A. They expect stains on the carpet. You're going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as long as the carpet's there, it's probably like, wow, that was a good tenant, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. I mean, what are they going to do? Kick me out? I'm already out. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now we we have about eight minutes left. Um, maybe you could talk about some of the open public rituals that you guys are doing. If people are out in Montana, and if you're going to any events in the near future. Yeah, um, <clears throat> we just got back from a pagan pride festival in Kalispell, which is uh, about three hours away from Missoula, where I'm at. And my brother actually just became a police officer over there, which is really cool. And I said to him, wow, yay, finally somebody ethical on the police force. Good for you. You know, I don't make any qualms with officers if I feel they're being on the line. Um, and that's kind of, maybe that's an empath thing also. I was talking to a sheriff deputy this morning about the car break-in um, that happened for miles and miles on, on that stretch of road and I just treated him like a, a normal everyday person instead of um, being scared because he's an officer or um, treating him any differently. <clears throat> I try to treat everybody the same way. So so if I see an officer or some, or even like somebody who's in a managerial position or a political position being what I would deem unethical or unmindful. I'm just going to call them out as if they were myself. Just like I would expect other people to do with me. I kind of like doing that. But anyway, we were at Kalispell Pagan Pride um, last weekend and did a ceremony there and got to network with a bunch of other witches in, in the Montana area, so that was really neat. And we're going to be organizing our new house and doing a big public uh, house blessing weekend and that'll be really fun and we have some canning events coming up because now that we have the orchard next to our house a little orchard we can practice more canning and um, use that as a community community building skill and that's kind of one thing that I also appreciate about how our group is structured is <clears throat> that we don't we're not just a bunch of people who are disconnected and then meet up in a lodge once a month, do magic, maybe have a drink, and then go away and then see each other the next month. We are structured more as a tribal community, a a solid group where um, we know each other's problems. We talk about each other. We talk to each other very frankly and um, really, really get to know the intricacies of one another. I think that's really important for a coven or for any working spiritual group so that the members should get to know each other. It's not just about meeting up and trying to do magic and then 
separating. You know, I thought it was very interesting that somebody who came to our circle once to one of our to our, our uh, Halloween Salon ritual last year said, "See, I don't think that making sugar skulls is magic." You know, for example, we do sugar skull making for Day of the Dead as a community project. But the thing is, that is magic. That's community building. That's doing something sacred and <clears throat> bringing people together on different levels. So that you don't just get together and do magic. You get together and get to know each other and bond and and be magic and help influence each other. And I think that's one thing that needs to be emphasized more from magical leaders and authors um, is that. And it, and it is acknowledged more and more <clears throat> is that magic isn't something that you do it's something that you are and everything is magic there's nothing that isn't magic um, a ritual a very precise planetary ritual or something um, is definitely necessarily magic but that's just one aspect of magic that's just doing it's not necessarily being you know what I mean absolutely absolutely so, if people want to get in contact with you, how could they do it, Raven? They can go to ravendigitalis.com and look me up. And there's a link to my Facebook there and to my books and stuff like that. So, how's your book project coming, Andrea? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> the newest one. Oh, slowly, because I'm in an MBA program, so... <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that uh, is kind of... Uh, we we. We kind of did a lot of the uh, our internal group uh, around the Ohio and Michigan. Kind of did a a lot of soul searching and kind of has been doing a lot more in private, um, where it's not open to the public. And so mm -hmm. we're working out a lot of the kind of techniques with them. I think uh, Jason, you would say that's accurate, right? Well, yeah, and and I think what you're going to find is when when the next book drops it's going to be a well well practiced book not just a well researched book but a well practiced book before it ever hits the public yeah yeah that's yeah, absolutely true very important very important um, are you an say, author as well um not currently but i'm working that way i'm more awesome. of the paranormal investigator expert over the past decade yeah. but i will say <laughs> yeah. this we we take our magic seriously, and I know you do too. So you can appreciate the fact that we do like trial by fire. All right. Good. Good. Indeed. Yeah, I, I really I really like uh, <clears throat> the whole paranormal investigation aspect because that's something that it serves as a very good spiritual bridge for a lot of people. Because you'll find the most atheistic person in the world, and then you say, "Well, have you seen a ghost?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, I saw a ghost one time." Blah, blah. <laughs> so it's like, well. Maybe the um, alternate dimensions aren't aren't that easy to avoid, so that can serve as a good spiritual bridge. Why are there ghosts? Why? Well, is there yes, sir. Yeah. Hey, I'll put you this way: it may not be proof of God, or it may not be proof right. of any particular god or goddess, but it is something that tells people there's something beyond physical life. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Okay, we got it. Well, thank uh, you so much, you guys. We got about two minutes. Um, okay. Raven, I want to thank you for coming. We do have some some announcements, and just stay on the phone for a second, Raven, so we can hand off. As everyone knows, deeper down the rabbit hole is doing an ancestor service live on the air on Halloween. So we will do a show before that to tell everyone how to do it, and then we'll be doing ancestor service on Halloween next week. We have, uh, oh man, I can't remember his name, and I'm coffee deprived. We have Ian. Um, from Starwood, Corrigan, yeah, uh, coming, who runs basically Starwood, and he's a high-level person in the ADF. And with that, I wish you all a good night, and thank you again to the Luminous for the custom music for our show. Oh, sorry, what did you, did you, did you say something? <laughs> did you just thank me? I thought you thanked your music. Well, thank you, Raven. Uh, thank you. Thank you, too, Raven. Yeah, you're very welcome. Really appreciate it. Great talking to you. Thank you all out there for listening. Good night.